Thank you, brother. Would you please open your scriptures to the book of Ezekiel? I got a couple of passages from the law to share with you. The Law and the Prophets, Ezekiel 33, verse 1. Ezekiel was a prophet sent by God to the nation of Israel. These are the words that the Lord gave to him. And there are some principles in this passage that I'd like to ask you about. Maybe you can help me understand it. Let's do this. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 1. It says, Again the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man... Speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. So a comment here. The principle of the watchman. What is that? The guy, the, wa the man who watches, right? The sentinel. The guy who's paying attention to danger. Okay. Verse 3, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, like an army coming to attack a city, right? If he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and take him away, his blood shall be on his own head. In other words, it's his own fault. He got warned, he didn't care. Now, here's the principle. Do people always heed warnings? Do you always heed warnings. Isn't it amazing how we can be so stubborn sometimes? <laughs> Don't do it. It's going to hurt. And we're like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's not going to hurt. That happens to other people. No, sometimes uh, it happens to us. So there's a principle here. People will react in this way. In a group of people, there's always someone who will say, I'm going to do it my way. I don't really believe the warnings. Okay, verse 5 continues. Ezekiel 33, 5. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, uh-oh, Hey, we hired you to do one job. <laughs> we had a funny incident on a recent trip. And because I'm the goofball of this story, I will share it. Um, <laughs> I had one job, and I was guiding my wife. She was driving. So our son and, and our, my wife and, and I, we were going somewhere. And we get to this uh, stoplight, and it's red. And we're in the left lane, and there's the right lane to turn. And the map said, turn here, and I wasn't paying attention. So, incidentally, she says, so what now? And there was only one car in front of us, nobody behind us. <laughs> so, um, I go, oh, yeah, uh, you have to turn here. And, you know, driving in another country, it's a little uncomfortable to go and pop the, suddenly have to improvise, and so... Later I heard the expression, you had one job. <laughs> and I just think that's amusing. But this guy here, now 
in his hands are the lives of many people. And he has one job. He's got to watch for danger. But in this verse, verse 6, if the watchman sees a sword coming, he sees danger coming, but he doesn't blow the trumpet. He doesn't warn the people. The people don't know the danger that's upon them. And the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. In other words, the watchman is responsible. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking of Cain. He kills his brother, buries him. The Lord knows. The Lord comes and says, um, Cain, where's your buddy? Where's your... Where's your bro? And he does the classic, what, I have to take care of him? I'm responsible for my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? So I would like to consider this question today with you. What about you and I? Are we the keepers of our brethren? Are we watchmen? Do, do we have responsibility? And there's something I'd like to show you. A bit of a difference between the law and grace. We'll get to that. In verse uh, 7, he says, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now here's another principle. Sometimes the Lord, in a special way, puts it in someone's heart to do a job. To do one job. Yes. In a general sense, we are all responsible to some degree. We will see that in Deuteronomy. But here we have the Lord saying, Hey, Ezekiel, I, I gave you this job. You're going to watch for this nation. I'm making you responsible. And then look what he says. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. In my name, Ezekiel, you are going to give them warnings. Verse 8, when I say to the wicked, Oh, wicked man, you shall surely die. Do you remember how that happened in the book of Jonah? I often joke with people, Hey, what was Jonah's gospel? He was sent to preach. What was his good news? And if the people are not familiar with the story, they won't realize immediately that there was no good news. Jonah was not sent there to preach good things to the Ninevites. His message was a one-liner. You got 40 days before you burn. <laughs> it was that and that alone. Well, the burning is my added uh, drama there, but the Lord basically said in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Wow. There was no good news. There was no, um, Christ died for you. He already paid the penalty. You can be delivered from your sins. You can be delivered from the lake of fire. You can be delivered from sin in your life even now. The power of sin. Christ saves you from that. That came later. That's wonderful news. That's the good news we have to share. But Jonah only had to say, in 40 days, you're toast. Verse 8 says, Look, Ezekiel, when I tell you to tell them, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to kill you, you go and tell it, right? So, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. 
In other words, I sent you to warn them, they had a chance. They could have repented, they could have changed their ways, they didn't, so they're going to be punished for that, but you're responsible too. Isn't that serious? Would you like to be Ezekiel? How do you feel about that? You're responsible too. If you don't warn them, I will punish you with them. Pretty strong, isn't it? And then in verse 9, Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. It'll be okay if you just do that one job <laughs> that I have for you. All right, so... The other day I was reading through scripture and this passage jumped out at me and it really struck me. Would you come to Deuter Deuteronomy chapter 22 with me because I wanted to show that to you. I, I had read it before but it never quite jumped at me the way it did recently. And so I saw in this passage the idea of collective responsibility. There are some things that we are just automatically responsible to do and that's the principle, the general principle. But in this passage, here's an instruction to Israel. So we understand that this is God's orders to the nation of Israel. It does not apply to us, but look at the situation. And then, again, we're asking the question, am I my brother's keeper? Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 1. You shall not see your brother's acts or his sheep going astray, and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. Before we go on, do you understand what it's saying? What, what does it mean? Help me understand this, because it says you're not going to hide. Is this like a game of hide and seek? Your, your neighbor left the gate open, his sheep come down the road, you see them and you go, ooh, let me, where's the tree? I need to hide behind this. What does it mean you're not going to hide yourself from them? What, how would you say that in other words? Blind eye. You're not going to turn a blind eye. Thank you. That's actually, that's a perfect expression. It, it conveys exactly the idea. Because... Don't we sometimes do that, though? We see something happen. We know it's not going to turn out good, but we we look the other way and we say, oh, I, it's, it's not my fault. That's, I didn't do that. It was not my choice. I'm not responsible. And our conscience is saying, aren't you, though? <laughs> and so let's read on because this is so interesting. Verse 2, And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, here brother in the sense of a fellow Israelite, a brother of the same country, compatriot, I suppose. So you don't know him. He's one of your far out, uh, far out neighbors, like from the other neighborhood. It says, Then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it, then you shall restore it to him. Huh. So, Lord, you're telling the Israelites, they are responsible if they see 
something that could damage someone else, they are responsible to prevent that damage. So the guy loses his cows, and you see his cows, you have to go and grab them, and you're like, oh, I, I don't recognize these cows, I don't know this tag, I have no idea who's the owner, so I'm going to keep them until someone comes looking, surely someone will, and then I turn them in, uh, or I give them back to the person. Wow. So, that makes every person responsible in Israel for anything that goes wrong. Verse 3. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so you shall do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You must not turn a blind eye. You must not pretend that you didn't see someone else's need. Funny thing, when we arrived this morning, um, we, we came into the... Where am I? Uh, we came into one of the doors of this church, and uh, there was a, a garment, there was a piece of... Uh, there was a shirt. Um, a kid's shirt, I'm thinking, maybe a child's, a girl's blouse or whatever, and we picked it up and brought it in. And so if you lost it, or if your mom is looking for it, uh, Pastor Lynn, it's somewhere visible, right? The shirt that we picked up as, as we came in? <laughs> it's out there. See, it's out there. So we didn't turn a blind eye. We didn't uh, wipe our feet on it and uh, come in. No, we, we picked it up and we thought, Someone misplaced this, someone lost this. We are now responsible because we saw it laying on the floor. And I thought of this verse right then because this has been on my heart. Am I responsible for helping someone else? If I see that they are in need, am I then responsible? If I don't see the need, okay, I didn't notice it. But if I saw the need, can I just pretend nothing happened? So it's a question that's been on my heart and I want to put it to you today. What do you guys think? Because in verse 4, well, in verse 3 he said basically anything he has. His cattle, his stuff, his clothing, anything he lost. You found it, you keep it for him. You take it to him or you keep it for him until he comes to look for it. In verse 4 he says, You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help them lift him up again. Huh. Again, the same idea, different application. Verse 5, a woman... Okay, that's uh, changing the subject here, so I'm going to leave it at that. But the question here is, we looked at the verse in Ezekiel about the sentinel the watchman and his duty to watch and warn. If he does not warn, he is guilty together with the other guilty ones. Here we see the principle of helping. If you see a need, you have to help. So, do you feel a little guilty now? And do you feel under law? And do you feel that 
you have to do something? Are you uh, under that idea that, oh no, what's he going to do now? Let's see, being a missionary, mm, I know what he's going to do. He's going to make us all guilty and we have to get out there and tell people about God because if we don't do it, we're like that watchman who didn't do his one job. Is that what I'm trying to do today? My answer is no, I'm not doing that. We're not doing that, we're never doing that. Why? Because it is not through law that God operates today. The beauty of the way God works today with us Gentiles is He works through His own grace. And let's take grace out and substitute it for a similar term. How about goodness? He works through goodness. He is so good to us, we just want to give back. I would like to show you a passage where someone took these principles and lived them out in such a beautiful way, but not because he had to. And you too can open with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and you too can do these things, not because you have to, not because you're under an order, under a command, that if you see someone drop their wallet, you have to pick it up and give it back to them. You can do that because you get to. You can do it because you want to. Because you choose to. Because God's love is so great that your heart is filled with it and you want to give back. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and how about we start with the uh, few verses from the previous paragraph that I'm going to go into. So I want to start from verse 19. That's the beginning of the paragraph that uh, I would like to look at with you guys. And I, I do have the feeling we've looked at this before. But let's go over it again because it ties in with what we're looking at today. But before that, how about we read... Hmm, Verse 16, yeah, let's start there. So, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Hmm, that doesn't sound like he's doing it because he really wants to. It's more like, hmm, I have to. Do you agree with that? Does he have to? Oh, he says so. But why? Why does Paul have to? preach the gospel. It was his one job. Right? The Lord did call him specifically and said, I got a job for you. It wasn't for everybody, it was for him. So he had a job to do. Then, he says it in verse 17, for if I do this willingly, because I want to, the things I'm talking about, right? If I do this willingly, I have a reward, but... If against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, I still have to do it. <laughs> so, doing it willingly, doing it because I want to, that's where his reward is. And of course, he wants the reward. Look at verse 18. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. 
that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And by the way, the authority he's talking about is referring to verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, what? Should live from the gospel. In, the, in verse 11, if we go back further, it says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Good question, Paul. You have taught us spiritual things. You have benefited our lives in ways that cannot be measured. Is it such a big deal if we contribute so that you can eat and stay alive? No, I guess not. It's, it's, it's fair. It's a good trade. In fact, we're gaining on it, right? We're getting spiritual treasures. We're just giving you common food. You know, you can work for that and get that. So... Do you see this beautiful principle that this is the authority that God has associated with the preachers of the gospel? That is work. And so, people who work should be paid. Right? And so that's all good. And he's saying, no, no, but what's my reward? See, because I was given this job, I can't just not do it. In fact, the option of doing it willingly is not really there. So how do I get a reward? It's already my job. And he says so in verse 18. What's my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. In other words, I do this work for you Corinthians and for the others out of my own pocket. I'm not taking the material things from you guys. I work and I provide. And so... That's how I get rewarded. This is obviously an exception, not the rule. But nevertheless, the Apostle Paul wanted to serve the Lord. And he wanted to do things willingly. He wanted to sacrifice. He wanted to do just like David. When David was going to offer a sacrifice, the owner of the land said, No, you can take this. Take my ox. Take, my, uh, take the wood here. And he said, No, I'm not going to offer... David said, I'm not going to offer the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. And so he paid for it and paid nicely for those things. And then he offered an offering to the Lord. It was a true sacrifice. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to sacrifice. So as a preacher of the gospel, I have the right to go and teach a group of people and leave my food from them. But I have chosen not to do that. And I have chosen... To sacrifice so that I provide for myself and preach. All right, so that's Paul's reward from doing this sacrifice. Now, what about the next verse? Verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Hang on. Let me ask you now is this something he had to do? Does it sound like Paul had to become a servant of all men? Hey kids, when you think of the Apostle Paul, do you think of a slave? Is that what you're thinking? The guy who is running around serving people? Not the boss, by any means. Not the boss, the servant. Is that what you think? Isn't that interesting that those who are in spiritual leadership are actually seen as servants. 
because they are bringing the things that benefit the people to them and serving them the treasures of God. So they're servants, they're not bosses. Those of you who are thinking, you know what, I would love to be useful to God. And I would love if the Lord had a special place for me to lead in some way. Leadership and ministry, that is servanthood. The Apostle Paul says, I am free from all men. But even though I am free, I have chosen, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. It's all about winning souls to Christ. And in verse 20 he says, And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law. Look at all the categories. He says to those who are without law as without law in parenthesis, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might, what? What's the purpose? To win those who are without the law. So, then verse 22, to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might, by all means, save some. Why does he say save some? Because he knows, when the watchman gives a warning, not everyone listens. And that's how it really is. And it's okay to warn again. It's okay to go to them and scream in their face a little bit. In a good way. I mean that with a figurative, okay guys, not the literal, because... Um, there's this thing that people like to do. They like to take any mistake a Christian makes and give that as an excuse. See, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I don't believe in God. Look at what this guy is doing. So, anyway, he's saying here, to those who are weak, I became as weak so, I, so that I can win the weak. The idea is becoming all things to all men. What are you willing to sacrifice so that Christ can be brought to the hearts of the people that you know? Alright guys, let's talk about missions for a little bit. Along with the idea of, am I my brother's keeper? We are not technically hold, held responsible for others as in under the law, as in we have to. But... We can choose to be servants of all, like the Apostle Paul chose to be. We can choose to become weak, so that we can win the weak. To become all things to all, to win the most possible. We can choose those things. We get to do that, and we do it out of gratefulness, because Christ chose the same thing. Isn't it true that the Lord Jesus Christ left his glorious state to take on this human flesh to become one of us and hang out with us have you looked around have you looked in the mirror aren't we weird aren't there things about us that are just strange and then 
When you get a group of people, say, 10, 20, 50, that's 10, 20, 50 weird things. If we're in that one mood, but then we changed our mood, and then now we've got another 10, 20, 50 weird things of a different kind. What about 100 people? What about 1,000? What about a million? What about, what is it, 7.8 billion right now in the world? I'm not too sure on those numbers, but there are many people alive today. And in his time, in the time of Christ, there were many people, and he still came and hung out with them. And do you remember how he was criticized? The Lord Jesus was criticized because he wasn't rubbing shoulders with the elite who thought they were better than everybody else, the Pharisees. He was hanging out with, they were called what, sinners? Isn't that true, that he would sit and eat with them? He would share a meal with the weirdest of the weird. That's love. Did he have to do it, or did he get to do it? Didn't he choose to do this as well? Isn't it true that this was our Lord's will? He sacrificed for us willingly, having the power at any moment to snap his fingers and stop everything, he didn't. Would you please open with me to another text? Let's do Luke. Let me confirm here. I believe, yes, it's Luke 22. 22. And the verses are 63 and 64. So Luke chapter 22, verse 63, 64, and 65. Here we go. So Luke 22, 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him. And beat him. Have you ever been mocked and beaten? Do you imagine how that would feel if you haven't been mocked and beaten? Can you imagine how that would feel? Verse 64. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy! Who is the one who struck you? And you know he could see. <laughs> he doesn't. The Lord Jesus did not need to use his physical eyes to know exactly who had done it. And you know, it would have been so funny if he said, It was you, John. We'll talk later about this. Ooh, <laughs> how creepy. Would that be? How scary would that be for John or whoever it was who was beating him and teasing him? And he knew it and he kept quiet. Isn't that amazing? He didn't say anything. He took it. So having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? 
and many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Again, look at this. And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Can you imagine being beaten around, slapped around, and hearing all kinds of just mean things? The creator of the universe took it all. He just sat there and took it. He did that because of you and because of me. We're celebrating communion later on today. We're celebrating what the Lord did for us. And this was one of those things. He just sat there and took it. All that evil directed to him. Voluntarily, he took it so that we could be saved. He took it so that he could say in actions, I love you and I'm going to take care of you. I got you. So, in a similar way, I would like to challenge you that we too can be watchmen. I'm going to use a different term now. Missionaries. There are, definition, there are different definitions for a missionary. So I'm going to start with the simplest one. Missionary from the word missio, from, from the Latin, to be sent. Someone sent. So you have this love of God in your heart. You know how much the Lord has done for you. You talk with Him, you walk with Him along life's narrow way. And you have this burning in your heart to tell this friend, he's going through some really difficult situations right now, and he, you, just, you have that in your heart to tell them, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he did for you on the cross. And when you do that, are you not being sent from within, from the Lord's love itself? Are, are you not sent as a messenger? When you tell someone in your own town, in your own school, in your own environment, isn't that a kind of missionary? Isn't that why some, some places even have this sign, you know, some churches have it, I've seen it, where you walk out the door and right above it says, you are now entering your mission field. As a way to say, missions can be something done cross-culturally, can be something done to other countries where they have another culture and another language and there's a lot of changing and learning involved in that but missions can be a local thing as well if we as a church if we organize ourselves and we say let's do this project let's have an event let's let's have food hey food food's good everybody loves food so let's have food, let's have folks over, and then some of us that are a little better prepared, we're going to do the rounds and start talking with people, and we're going to share Christ at the event, while they're eating, while they're hanging out and getting to know new people. Wouldn't that be missions as well? We call it outreach, right? I would like to challenge you. Am I my brother's keeper? No, but I get to be. I can be. I can do like Paul did and voluntarily become a slave, a servant to all 
so that the most can be won to Christ. Winning people to Christ is what it is all about. And then, why do we gather every week? Why do we go to church? What's that all about? Don't we come here to read the Word of God? To study it? To know how to behave better? Isn't that what church is for as well? Yes, we praise Him and we sing and we put to beautiful poetic words the love that we have for Him. And we hang out. Yes, we have fellowship. And we eat together. And we celebrate things together. We're like family. And all those things are important. They're necessary. They're biblical. They please the Lord. But one of the major things that we do as we gather as a church is to learn God's Word. Do you know why that's so important? Because when you're out there saying, Hey, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? The first thing the enemy will put in the people's hearts is look for mistakes. Look for bad attitudes so that you can accuse them of it. You can't talk about Jesus with that attitude. And it's true. Haven't you been through situations when, where, where someone told you a true thing and you just hated to hear it because of their attitude? They said it with pride and and in your heart you went, it's actually true what they're saying, but ah, oh, I can't take it, I can't accept this. Because they said it with so much pride. Haven't you been through situations like that? Isn't it horrible? Isn't it awful <laughs> to have to intellectually agree with them and emotionally disagree? Because it came the wrong way? The scriptures tell us to be kind, to be gentle, to be forgiving, to be humble. They don't tell us to think we're better than others and to act with pride. So it's so important that we come to church so that we can be prepared in all ways. So that in every way we can be light bearers and reach people for Christ. But in the, in the end, there is one thing that God wants. And that's in 1 Timothy 2.4. He says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. That's who God wants everybody to know. Let's be a part of that. Let's take on voluntarily the responsibility, the collective responsibility. If you see that someone lost a wallet, aren't you going to help that person? Well, if you see that they lost their soul, do you want to? Would you be honored to get to help them find their soul or save their soul? May the Lord bless the teaching of His Word on this day. May the Lord bless your heart's desire. And may He give it to you even stronger and strengthen you so that you will boldly go out and share the truth with people. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, would you please make us your watchmen that we, having this message that saves souls, will not consider that to be some privilege that belongs only to us, but that we will be compassionate like you 
And that we will be willing to take the sufferings and take the beatings like you. So that we can do this one job to get the truth out there so that people can be saved and experience your tremendous love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the one we love. In his name, amen. Amen. What a beautiful call and reminder for us all. Thank you very much for that, brother. Something that stood out between Sunday school time.